Welcome to 52 Minutes with Paul Rudy, an opportunity to learn about people in our area in a unique one-on-one format. Our host is someone who has spent his entire life growing up, attending school, and creating a highly successful business of his own in our local community. Please join us for the next 52 minutes as we settle in for another enlightening visit with today's guest. Here is our host, Paul Rudy. Hi, and welcome to Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes With. Today I have 52 Minutes with Craig McDonald, the owner of McDonald Real Estate Group in Champaign-Urbana, one of the top, if not the top, usually, sales uh, people in sales and real estate in Champaign-Urbana. Is that fair to say, Craig? That's fair to say, and thank you very much for having me, Paul. We've been friends a long time, and, and I'm happy to be on this show. I had to do a little research on you, though, because it, I, last week I, or a couple of weeks ago, I had Mike Hale on, and I said, gosh, I've known Mike for 20 years, but I didn't really know much about where he came from and what made him tick and those things. And I feel the same way with you, and that's kind of the whole point of this show is to not just for myself, but I think other people are interested in people that are doing interesting things in Champaign-Urbana. So, again, thanks for showing up. So this is kind of a – today I'd like to cover kind of your life journey. We have 52 minutes to do it, so we'll – be sort of brief but t- you grew up in southern illinois is that right in small that's, town America? that's correct i grew up in a small town called christopher christopher illinois for those that don't know who probably won't um it's about 20 miles south of mount vernon uh about 20 miles if you drew a line from carbondale to mount vernon i would be right in the middle of that line okay i'm familiar with the area yeah. uh probably mainly i think at some point you were driving one of your kids to college down in georgia maybe i would did do that and uh of course i had one in auburn in alabama so i threw through went through there a number of times what was it like growing up in the small town as opposed to maybe champion or is considered a small town but everything's relative. oh it was quite a bit different how many people there were about three thousand at the time um coal mining was a predominant industry in southern illinois um, everybody had a pickup truck and a bass boat in their front yard uh, life was pretty good back then in Christopher. Um, again, it was a small community, a really close-knit community. Um, my mom and dad were both school teachers there. My mom taught junior high mathematics, and my dad was a PE teacher and athletic director and head football coach at the high school. Now, are mom and dad alive? Yes, still okay. alive. They're actually here in Champaign today. Oh, wow. How good is that? Um, growing up in a small town, what kind of memories does that evoke? Oh, goodness. Putting your, uh, maybe one of the things that the first great memory or the things I take for granted now is we literally put our baseball gloves on our bike, a basketball, a ball bat, and we would meet in the center of town and play ball all day and then go home around dinner time. I mean, not see mom and dad, just the whole community of kids that, you know, you pick the first one, second one, third one, fourth one, throw up balls and play. And it was, it was that kind of environment growing up. I mean, it was it was looking at what's gone on the last couple of days, it was night and day. And when you travel back there, is that is that day still gone or even in a small town or is it still somewhat that way because it is a small town? My town has changed quite a bit because the coal mining industry has really gone away. Um, It came back for a little bit, but now, again, it's kind of depressed. Um, So all the cute little dime stores and jewelry stores and all the shops up and down Main Street and Christopher 
Um, well, we got replaced by Walmart, which is about seven miles away. So the town has a different look and a different feel to it. Um, I think probably it's not too different from the kids' standpoint. Now parents have changed more than kids, I believe. Um, I'm more of the Frank Martin basketball coach coaching style, but I don't think it's changed that much from a safety standpoint um, where I grew up. And tell me about siblings. Did you have any? I'm the only one. Only one. Yes. Just one. Yeah. Great. Well, they got a good one. Uh, what kind of a kid were you in? Well, let's just pick high school because I always think of high school. We all have our hang-ups about high school. Yeah. Um, high school was was a lot of fun for me. Um, were you a sports guy? Oh, yeah. I played three sports. That's all we had. We had football, basketball, and we ran track. Didn't even have baseball. Um, I was a quarterback and a linebacker for football, uh, point guard for basketball, and then ran just about everything you could run, jump, throw, and track, being from a small school. Um, having my dad as an integral part of the school system uh, had a, a significant effect upon me. Tell me tell me about that, positive or negative or both? Um, looking back, it was 100% positive. At times, I, it didn't feel that way. Um, he was... I mean, not only was he really the football coach, he was a sergeant in arms, okay. per se. Um, he was, there was no such title back then, but he was school disciplinarian. Um, and I didn't have a lot of wiggle room to screw up too much. Um, that pressure wasn't placed on me by him or my mom. I never felt that. I just never felt that given the position that I wanted to let him down. Now, I did things that high school kids do and and certainly wasn't an angel by any stretch form of the imagination, but I always wa I always I was very cognizant of the fact um after one screw up the consequences to them that that they had to live with when I didn't toe the lines. So yeah, I was a good student. Um two of us from the from my community came up to the University of Illinois and only two. And um that's and that's two out of how many students would you say were in your graduating class in high school? Unfortunately, we had 97 students. Uh, we had three pass away while I was in school. No kidding. We had um, a carbon monoxide accident for two of them and just a regular car crash. And my best friend found the car crash and, and what happened to the young lady during that, all within a two-week period of my junior year. Now, were your parents uh, the strict type of parents as a rule, or were they kind of like, we let passive, we let Craig do what he wants to do and hope things work out? No, they weren't passive. Um, but they weren't, they weren't the overbearing strict parent. They set expectations. I was expected to meet those expectations, which is good grades. Um, I can remember my mom saying, you get good grades and behave the way you want, and you'll have everything you need. Um, you misbehave, and we're going to have some issues. And was it that small-town community, uh, like everybody kind of knew, <laughs> would report in on – everybody saw what kids 100%. There, there was getting away with nothing. No. So, so you, you know, it wasn't for, like, some of us, if we got in trouble at school, we got in trouble at home, too. You could get it all done at the same place. <laughs> school was and sometimes that, that happened. Um, what was difficult about it, given the fact that both of my parents were in the education system, Kids would say things about my mom and dad that I didn't want them to say. Did that ever come to fisticuffs? Absolutely. 
How'd your folks feel about it? was suspended twice in junior high. Oh, how'd your folks take that? Well, the first question my dad asked if I won. That was <laughs> being, the football, being the football coach in him. Um, and then I was suspended like the policy was. Um, I guess as a sense of humor, the kid that I did get in the fight with, my dad and his dad were friends, and they put us in a dog pen all day and scooped dog poop <laughs> to clean up both dog pens. And we're in that pen for five minutes, and we were fighting again. So it was, it was almost like going back to the scene. And then he and that young man, I became very good friends after that. You know, it's come clear to me once, even about the time I turned 60, we all sort of become our fathers as guys. Is that creeping into your, do you ever look in the mirror and think, oh my gosh, I'm looking more like my dad or talking more like my dad? You know Kenny Bilger, of course. Kenny's has been a friend of mine. We met when we were sophomores in college. Inseparable since then, pretty much. Pretty much inseparable since then. Um, raised our families together. Kids are the same age. Um, they're they're like family to me. And we were sitting somewhere someday one day, and somebody asked, "What's Craig's dad like?" And he goes, "Just look over there across the table." That's exactly <laughs> what Craig's dad looks like and acts like and talks like. So, yeah, I I I resemble him. I respect him, and I, I take it as a compliment. So sincere you, compliment. And do you think the small town values plus your mom and dad's values, did they carry over today? Yes. And I don't know if it was a small town values. I know my mom and dad's values carried over. I'm also a hundred percent sure I've been rewarded several times through my life for my two daughters, that that has been carried over again, that the values that they instilled in me, about if you don't make the team, it's not the coach's fault, you work harder. If you didn't get the A, you needed to study longer. Don't come whining to me about some being treated unfairly. Um, get up the next morning and, and do better and work harder and, and stay longer and and things don't go your way, get your rear end up off the ground and, and make them go your way tomorrow. Do you think that's one of the things missing in today's society somewhat? Or do you see that maybe not? applied the same way as it was back then we kind of in passing said it i don't think we have a kid problem or society problem i really think we have a parent problem okay i mean i see parents making excuses for kids like you said when you got in trouble at school you got in trouble at home sometimes at school too not the case anymore (laughs) my brother dave can tell you about the time when he was in eighth grade where my dad marched out to the school and smacked him in the face in front of the kids now you'd probably get all the way. Now you get all the way to going in jail. But that was discipline back then. Yeah, it was, so, and you know, understandable discipline. Now, did you have to? And we'll get to your family issues, but just as an aside, did you find that you? you it sounds like you brought those same values to your daughters. Yes, and it's Mia and Kelly. Mia and Kelly. Um, that's probably the, will be the most proud, some of the most proud moments I have. Not what they've accomplished. Um, not what kind of athletes they were about the times they've said thanks for seeing the difference. And we've been rewarded several, several times that having coaches come up to us was how in the world did you raise your kids? You know, I wish all my kids acted like that. It's those kind of things that, that matter now to me. You played an active role. Yes. Very active. And, and Liz was every bit as, disciplined and there was no playing off each other 
Yeah. She took probably less crap than I did. And she was very strong. And, and well, husbands and wife over 30 years fight about a lot of things. It was never a fight about how we raise our kids, which we're very lucky to have that. I'm convinced that's, it's never a guarantee, but without that, it, I think it's tougher without two people rowing in the same directions. But, you know, there are a lot of randomness in the world too, so I try not to be too opinionated on that. Speaking of Liz, so where did she come into your world? Um, she was a friend of a friend in college. Okay. So now uh, let's jump to from small town to the University of Illinois. Yeah. Um, a big jump for me. Were you you shocked? can probably still. Um, I was shocked how different I was. You can still hear my voice, a southern draw. It's really not even a southern draw. It's more Just of a slow hick accent. And I mean, you're not even cool enough in Southern Illinois to have a southern draw. It's just an accent that we have, and and how people viewed that. Um, I joined a fraternity. Most were from Chicago. And realized that, you know, I was a little different. And and for the first time, I wasn't the norm or the most important or uh, the star football player. I was just one of 40,000 students here. And um, it was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Um, but ultimately, it was well with a small disposition of falling through a window and Missing a year of school, it was a good five years. And you met Liz in college. Yes, I did through a friend of a friend. Friend of a friend, and she actually ended up working for me. Oh, at, that was, at a bar oh. called the Malleys I owned. Okay, let's talk about that um, because you said I saw an article about it. you said you were such a fa- such a big fan of O'Malley's that you ended up buying it. Yes, I. <laughs> well, tell I people lied what about, O'Malley's kind of give O'Malley's it a little Pub backdrop. was a was a bar on Fourth and Green in Campus Town. And I had a couple guys in my fraternity that worked there, and they got me a job there. And actually, I lied on my application. I wasn't even 19 when I got the job. I was 18. I was working the door and worked my way up through management, um, got to my senior year through all the trials and tribulations. And the owner came in one day and said, man, I'd really like to sell this place. I got a family, um, which is kind of funny in a few minutes we'll get to. And I just can't spend the time with them. I can't be here. I know what happens when I'm not here. And long and short of it, I bought it on contract from him. I mean, our school teachers, we didn't have money. We didn't come from. Right. We were comfortable, but it's not like we had businesses. Or And I bought it on contract. And did, did people think you were nuts? Well, Orange and Blue Distributing, you remember that name? Yes. I don't think it is Orange and Blue anymore. There was a pool of how long I would make it. <laughs> what was the over and under? Do I, I don't know, but and they, and interesting enough, Orange and Blue Distributing is probably the reason I did make it. Okay. Um, when we get back to, to people like Alan Everett that, that helped me, um, people like Dean Clawson from Bank Champagne that kind of became my business and financial fathers were a big part of, of how I made it and the support I got from them. And having that support um, is a big deal. When you're 23 years old, it's a very big deal. And be, before you bought that bar, because I know you are a big fan of Champaign-Urbana and say you'll never leave, um, was that apparent from day one in college or was that towards the end of college? And then because of this, you ended up just anchored here because that's what we do. I bought a business, so I'm going to be here. I was going to be a football coach. 
Um, did, I you, would, I, did you play college ball? No. Okay. I was going to come up here and play. Um, realized very quickly that I did not, like I didn't look like my fraternity brothers or talk. My arm didn't look like Jack Trudeau's or Tony Eason's either. It was very quick that I understood that. But I remained involved with the football program and helped with the camps. And Chris White was a friend of mine. We're the same age. Um, we had a lot of friends. And I had a grad assistantship lined up um, under Mike White when I graduated and the year he got fired. And that was the year that the guy said, hey, I don't want to own O'Malley's anymore. And the trajectory of my life probably changed at that time forever. I was a school teacher as well, too. So that's where you were headed, is mm-hmm. to be a school teacher? No, I was going to be a football coach. Oh, okay. My, my dad was very clear. If you're going to be a football coach, don't be a high school football coach. Got it. Go be a football coach. Got it. And uh, how long did you own O'Malley's? I sold O'Malley's two days before Mia was born. Okay. And was there a trigger for that? We got, I, in the meantime, I got married. And, and, and in the meantime, I bought the White Horse and opened up another bar called Bub's Pub and Pizza. Okay, I remember that. And when we got married, I started selling them. But how, how does some just back up for a minute? How does somebody with come, parents or school teachers, you didn't come from money. When I think of buying one bar and then another and then another, I'm thinking, how does a young guy, 23, 24, get this done? I had good help. I had people that friended me. Um, I was successful at the one. Um, I had a landlord that was supportive as well, too, that owned all three properties. So that's kind of a big piece of it. And we had the liquor licenses, and it just grew. And and get up, work harder tomorrow kind of paid off. We'll get back to that and more with Craig McDonald, owner of McDonald Real Estate Group. Welcome back to Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes with Craig McDonald, owner of McDonald Real Estate Group. So we had just left off uh, before the break at the reason why you've you accumulated some bars and now you're in the selling mode of bars and it was just before your first daughter Mia was born. Yeah, I, I didn't want to raise my family, me being gone at night in this kind of environment. Not that I have anything against it then, nor do I have anything against it now. Um, both of my daughters worked at CAMS when they were in college. Sure. I just didn't want to have that kind of lifestyle. And it is a lifestyle. I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't give you a choice. If you're going to be successful at that, you're going to be working when everybody else is sleeping and having or having fun. That's right. And which is fine when you're young. But as you get older and, you know, older, 30, gosh, I wish I could have that back now. But it just it wasn't a long term plan for me and what I wanted to do. Did the you rest have, of my life. Did you have partners in any of those? Situations? I had no partners okay. in O'Malley's. I had no partners in the White Horse. I ended up selling half of the White Horse to Dan Manalakis. Okay. Um, and then Tim Murphy and I built Bubs. I rem- that's where I re- was trying to bring Tim Murphy into this conversation. I know beyond being great friends, but I, it struck me from my, you know, my memory that you guys were partners in on some things. Mm-hmm. And um, he owned Gullies at the time. Many people remember that bar yeah. as well, too. So I had a management company that basically managed all four of those those bars during those years. So it sounds like for the same reason the fellows <laughs> sold you your first bar, you started thinking maybe maybe there's some writing on the wall. And just from a lifestyle issue, wanting to be around. It resonated with me. when 
as I started having kids and when what he said that he said it in passing and you know things come back to you and it, it did um, it, it did really did resonate with me what was the best part of owning bars on campus you know oh, God, guys yeah. automatically think oh my gosh that's you know that's like winning the lottery whatever it, what every guy thinks is exactly right it, it was like winning the lottery um, you were popular in your fraternity popular I had money <laughs> I had hair back then. Now, I, mean, you, the, I had the world by the tail. I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing bad about it until um, the the young man fell off the balcony. I remember, and that. Um, the whole atmosphere down there changed for a period of time, and it became no longer fun. Um, it became more of a of a job, and and um, it was always a job. I don't mean it that way. There was a different flavor to it, or maybe I was getting older and a different responsibility to it. Or maybe I, a combination of those maybe things. Maybe a combination right. of all of it, and, but realized pretty close to them that this is not something that at 56 years old I'm going to be doing. Got it. And so did you know where you were appointed from there, or you just wanted you knew you were going to get out of that business? While I was in that business, uh, my wife took a job with Devonshire Realty. It wasn't Coldwell Banker back then. It was Devonshire okay. Realty. And uh, Charlie Younger, that's a historic name sure. around here, uh, sure. um, was, her, was her managing broker yeah. and boss. What a lucky uh, event that was. No kidding. And one day he walks into my office and says, get up. We're walking over two streets and we're going to buy a house. Was over on Healy, and I said okay, and went over there, and I mean it was a crack house. I mean literally, drugs running in, drugs running out, and I said Charlie, I'm not buying that. And he goes, Yeah, you're going to buy it, and I started getting buying real estate, and we rehabbed that. And then Erwin Goldfarb of Campus Property Management ultimately bought it for me, bought it from me, and we started. Liz and I started acquiring properties, and. And that's kind of the career path we started going on since then. So it was more or less an accident in some ways. Absolutely an accident. Everything that's happened in my life has been an accident, yeah. other than my parents. From that point on, did the entrepreneurial spirit kind of just kick in? Did you see yourself as someone who wasn't going to work for anybody, or you just weren't thinking about it? You were just doing what you do? I never worked for anybody. I've always said I've never had a paycheck from anybody. Until about seven or eight years ago, um, I had a, a call center for real estate agents around the company, and I merged with a guy. And apparently, I'm not a very good employee. <laughs> well, most entrepreneurs. So aren't. he and I didn't see eye to eye, and I got out of that relationship. Okay, so, so okay, so we've gone from starting to own and manage real estate properties throughout the town, and where they did they have one certain flavor? No, it it was everything from. Um, 30 condos at the corner of, of John and Duncan. English, they were called English Creek back then. People from town will remember that probably. To Florida Avenue apartments, um, houses and duplexes all around that we would pick up. Um, back to Dean Clawson, help being very instrumental in, in loaning me money and teaching me, you know, the, how to mortgage properties and and attorneys helping me along the way to teaching me that and then of course the bid break was when I did the circular tower on campus 
Tell me about that. Um, used to be the university, and it's been called a million things. Okay, you know what? I forgot all about that you yeah. were involved in that until now. Yeah, I did a, a highest and best study on it, and it wasn't as a hotel as as apartments. And the it was in bankruptcy from the family, and I partnered with Stu Brown and John Russo from Brown Russo Construction, and we bought it and we t- turned it all into apartments. So every two hotel rooms. Be- came one two-bedroom apartment. And so it was the first high-rise on campus um, of apartments. Now, the landscape looks quite a bit different. Yes. Um, but that, and then we ultimately sold that. Um, I started selling everything at that point. People were paying kind of crazy money for stuff. And and then the, the more ominous parts of things started coming Craig's way. Okay, but it's... it's- listening to you i'm kind of getting this theme of you listen to smart people and you had some pretty prominent partners that you partnered on certain things with i'd say that, that's fair that had ex- broad experience to the table and not just money and that seemed to work out well for you tell me about this the ominous part now so that was sounded like a you know that was all roses there so yeah. tell me where this takes a turn um, it takes a turn in the, uh, the crash, of course, but you're, given you're, what I've done, 2008, 2009 yeah, period, after we sold the tower, I was approached by some other folks in the community, prominent, smart business people, um, to take this show on the road. Um, but instead of doing apartments to do condominium projects, same as building apartments, like they were doing around, around town. And at the time I just had money in the bank i didn't have a job so i started going securing land in florida san antonio we never did actually get a project out of um spent a lot of time in arizona didn't buy anything um flipped a couple properties and did well but decided to come out of the ground with 300 plus condos in 2007 in fort myers florida which was obviously a time where when the music stopped, there were a lot of people without chairs. I can tell you the day the music died. Tell me about that. It was April 23rd. What was the, what, what, why does that stick out we in opened, I, I, We opened up the pre-sale center like every Florida place does. Activity starts going on. You have a trailer out there. You have your renderings. The first 60 days open, we'd sold 75 condos or something like that going just exactly as I'd projected, as we all planned. And then on the 26th of April, not another contract, period. And all those contracts nobody could perform on, right. and it just kept getting worse and worse. I moved to Florida for two, almost two and a half years. That's about the time the banking system got locked up. I remember that, too. I have my one day. I can't tell you what day it was, but I remember that day when, my, when I was involved in banking as one of the owners uh, and – my chief investment officer, I was asking him about Fed funds, what we're doing. He said, oh, we're not doing anything in Fed funds. I said, why not? Why aren't we lending out some of ours? And he said, um, nobody wants them. He said, not only that, you can't borrow at the Fed. You can't borrow Fed funds. So when banks cannot, will not lend money to banks overnight, I knew at that point we were near the abyss. And it, that's what happened. Once the banking system really got locked up, then it all was, the lending it was, and it was a, the, the music was over. just stopped. Yeah, and it, I mean, it took a it took a tremendous toll on me and my family for years uh, just, to come. Just financially or emotionally? 
the financial hit was significant. And, of course, we weren't smart enough to think that, okay, so we picked up other properties on the way out of town thinking this can't last forever when it kind of lasted forever. And so the obligations kept rolling in. How I stayed out of bankruptcy, I really don't have any idea. I can I can identify with that. Yeah. I went through my issues I mean, we, when the we bank had went a under. Long talk one evening. I'll never forget on your back porch. Um, we had known each other for a long time. We we're we we're going to sell your house, um, but we had a, a really nice conversation. That in both of our lives, everything had kind of gone perfectly until this moment. Oh, I thought I was rich one day. Yeah, there was a day I thought I was really feeling full of myself. Yeah. And uh, that changed real fast. That that's the part I remember about of it because we both felt like, am I where I, I did I become a lot poorer? Yes. Did it have a, a a horrible emotional toll on me? Yes. Am I a better person today than I was back then? A lot better person. Yeah, you either come out of that, you either you're going to make the same mistake again or you say oh i didn't see that coming maybe i and we beat your sometimes we beat ourselves up as business people as we should have seen it coming but human nature just doesn't really allow that too well at that time everything was too easy it, it, you know i've been through my issues fundamentally changed me it sounds like it fundamentally changed you to this day to this day more to, conservative um more humble okay that's fair that I don't want to say I'm conservative because I'm not afraid to taste. I'll never work for somebody. I'm not afraid to take risks. I'm not, I'll never risk a great story. This is a great story. I get a call from Clint Atkins after all this has happened. And he goes, hey, I'm going to New Orleans to look at some property. Would you mind coming with me? I'd like your opinion. Wow, you must have thought, holy cow, what's, what's going on here? Well, yeah, and th at this point, I'm already destroyed. You feel like an imposter? Yeah, and he knew it. And he, I said, Clint, I'm happy to get on your plane and go to New Orleans, but you don't need me. He goes, yeah, I know. I just want to spend some time with you. And we got on that plane, and he came over, and he sat in the, in the seat across from me. And he goes, you know, you just tried to double up at the wrong time. I doubled up four times. Bet everything I had four times. If that would have happened the first time, nobody had known Clint Atkins. Right. That's the kind of guy Clint was, though. And that's, that's the kind of people that came into my life at the right times to help, whether it was an Alan Everett or a Clint Atkins or a, a Stu Brorn or a Kevin Sullivan that – Somebody has shown up. Maybe God has led them my way. I never really thought about that until my later years. But somebody has placed people when I've been needed most in my life that has really, really kind of carried me through. Do you think it could be what we are on the inside also reflects our outside? Like, you know, the way we think and act are going to attract people into our lives or, or not attract people? I can only say this, is that when we opened up our real estate company, this community could not have been better to me. And what, what do you mean by that? The support that we received, the ability, how quickly we grew um, to be able to support, start supporting our family, um, to be able to send my kid to kids to college again. Yeah. Um, things you took for granted. Uh, things I not took too for long granted. Before that. And people I didn't know were watching me. Yeah. I, 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 I tell when I speak to, you know, 
don't want to say young people, but people are just starting to make it, is you never know who's watching you. And it's that person that's watching you that may not be involved right now, it's the one that's going to save your career. Right. Do you and, think it pays to always be nice to people? I mean, it seems obvious, but it seems to be hard human nature for people to just be kind to everybody, and I think that gets paid back. And sometimes the more successful we become, the less kind we become, unfortunately. I think, unfortunately, uh, that does happen. Yeah. Uh, I think and we all... We all I yeah. hope, and apparently I got out of that quick enough that it didn't happen to me because this community has been so amazing to my family. Okay, so what with your personality, what are deal killers for you these days if, if you saw an opportunity or somebody approached you with a business idea? like what's the, what's the one or two things that you would hear come out of their mouth that you go, I don't care how the numbers look, I'm not doing this? I'm not going to sign on a lot of money ever again. I mean, if I if I do a deal, it will be more of a private memorandum offering or something like that where we mitigate the risk up front. And either we get a return or we don't get a return. Um, if it's mortgaged, it's going to be not highly leveraged, very lowly leveraged. Um, we've done a few things, you know, since that time. I was exposed how to do that. And, and again, different people come through my life, Rodney Poole, you know, does that all the time. And, and I'm just, I, at this stage, I'm not willing to risk what we've rebuilt by having those obligations. I see a lot of people do that. I, I call it, I will tell people, why would you risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need? And I, I think that's one of the takeaways when you've gone through cycle ups and the good parts and the bad parts. The one takeaway is, you know what? Bad things can happen, things that we can't see. If somebody would have told me the bank I was part owner with was going under someday, I would have looked at them like, you are absolutely nuts. Yep. And it happened. So what my takeaway, and I'd be interested to see if that kind of relates to what you're saying, and we'll, we'll, when we get back, I'd like you to just think about this. Um, when every business deal I look at now, I, I ask myself, if it goes bad, would I still borrow money to get involved in this? And if the, it, it's not, is it going bad? If it went bad, would I still be glad I wrote the check? If the answer is yes, I do it. If it's not, I don't do it. We'll get back to Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes with Craig McDonald in just a moment. Welcome back to Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes with Craig McDonald owner of McDonald Real Estate Group in Champaign-Urbana. Well, Craig, we left off with kind of a question maybe Maybe I even went on too much, but how certain things have changed me about my appetite for risk and how I approach deals. Um, you could take it from there if you want. Sure. As in, you own a bank. Right. You own a financial yep. services company. You're a chronic entrepreneur. Yeah, I think that's serial, yeah. Yeah, chronic. serial, chronic, whatever you want to call <laughs> Same it. Thing. Terminal, whatever it yeah. might be. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, I don't feel that I'm alive unless I'm doing that. So a status on a, on quo, a daily basis when on you a daily you wake basis, up and you feel like there's something I got to do. If there's something I'm, I'm involved in a kind of a startup company now and my mom goes, Craig, why are you doing this again? And I, the answer was mom, I don't feel alive unless I'm doing something and learning something trying to do something that somebody's never done you know i've never really 
been any other way. And and part of it, I said, Mom, you and Dad are to blame. You are the ones that taught me to strive, to achieve, to overachieve, to to never quit. I mean, that's who I who I am. It's who I want to be. And I don't ever want to retire. I always want to be involved in something. You know, I think George Chaplin is an amazing example of that. I, I don't know how old George is, but he's still doing stuff out there. And it just amazes me, his passion and how every time I talk to him, I feel like I learned something. Like we were reminiscing having lunch the other day, and I said, George, I've used in the last 10 years of my company a saying you told me when we were doing a deal a long time ago. The last words walking out of the door, you said, Craig, get what you can get, but don't let them get away. (laughs) And I have used that with my clients hundreds of times. And just that small, simple statement is powerful when used in the right connotation. When you step back and look at the big picture, maybe it's getting out before you get hurt too bad. Maybe it's not being too greedy. I don't even know what the context is. But that that statement has, has always resonated with me through all these years as well, too. I think you're right. Certain words are powerful. What our brain hears come out of our mouth, I think it's powerful. But uh, my kids will talk about Paulisms, you know, <laughs> things I used to laugh at now that I overhear them saying to clients in the door. So I get it. Are your, would you, do you think your mom and dad are surprised by your level of success? Whoa. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if they're surprised by my level of success. I certainly think they're surprised by the route my life has taken. Have, um, and maybe your folks are just fine and well off, but I remember one of the benefits of when I was really successful. Uh, I like to think I'm a little bit now, but when my parents were alive, they're no longer alive, is the impact I could have on their life. Is that, has that, is that, kind of crept into your life at all not that they need it are there things you do that just thanks mom and dad you know no not really um of course we i we shared and we did things um they're both retired school teachers they're both live in a very modest home they have everything that they need or want or desire quite frankly two years ago they took all our family to hawaii for a vacation so i mean i'm very fortunate in the fact that that I've never felt that kind of pressure or... And they didn't have the need. Never had the need. Um, and what's really cool is, you know, my daughters now are... I mean, Mia just graduated law yeah. school from DePaul, and she wouldn't take any money from us. So tell me about... Let's get into the family side. Um, I had some other career questions maybe at the end if I got round things up. Okay. So you met your wife in college through a friend of a friend. You've been together ever since then. Love at first sight, I guess. No, not exactly. Not exactly. Took a while. At least not in her. It took, her. It, it took a while. A her, first comments, her first comments was, what's so special about him? That was her first <laughs> comments to her friend. So that's where it started. <laughs> well, she's a smart gal. <laughs> and then uh, you have two daughters, Mia and Kelly. So they grew up in town. You were very involved parents. I could see that from, you know, just witnessing it. And where did they, they both go to college then? Yeah, um, both graduated from the University of Illinois. Okay. Um, Mia went on to, Kelly just graduated. 
Um, Mia went on to law school at DePaul, just graduated law school, and now waiting to take the bar. And when wow. that's going to be, who knows? The how virus f- has delayed it. How do you feel about a lawyer as a child? Um, I just know if she becomes a divorce lawyer, she'll represent her mother. <laughs> her first client. <laughs> yeah, her first client. Yeah. built in. Yeah, so that means she's, a, again, a win-win position. Um, no, I'm extremely proud of, of, of I'm not proud that she's a lawyer. Right. I'm proud of, of, of who Kelly and me have become. Great. If something were to happen to me tomorrow, and I think this is what all parents should wish for. If something were to happen to me tomorrow, I have not one worry about they'll make it. They're equipped with everything they need to do whatever they want to do. And that's not financially. That's right. The, just the ability to figure things out, be a responsibility, survive a tough world because it is yes. a tough world. Uh, do you agree that it's a tough world? No, it's, it's no gimme. That's it's, for sure. I think a lot of people think it is. And, and, and I don't know what makes some people see this big pie of opportunity there. And then I don't under, I don't get it pessimist. I never have. And it just strikes me that so few people strive for success. If I've learned one thing through the real estate, residential real estate world, is how so differently people process things, Paul. What do you mean by that? You can look at an, at a simple inspection one way, and an engineer from the University of Illinois will look at it completely different, and their minds work differently. Oh, yes, they do. And yours will say, "Okay, I'm just going to spend fifteen hundred dollars to get X, Y, Z," and then another process of mine looks at it differently, and neither one of you are wrong. It's just the way you look at it and process it. You know, I would say probably our minds process things similarly. So I've had to learn to adapt to the way other people process things and then be able to communicate what they need to know to be able to make the decisions, hopefully without letting too much eagle get in the way because we all have one. And that seems to be the one thing when I look at people that are not as successful, it seems that they've never figured that out, that... You know, we all, we're all different. I, I, I didn't live your past life. I don't live your today, and I'm not going to live your tomorrow. And the ability to just recognize that, I think, is really key. And maybe, I'm just guessing, just hearing that, I think, wow, that's powerful. And that's so real and authentic. But it's also just plain common sense business smart, isn't it? Maybe it is. But I didn't have it be- until I became a residential real estate agent. And I worked with hundreds of people a year. So I was exposed to, you know, a, a million-dollar client and a $40,000 client and how they processed information and how sometimes it would be excruciatingly frustrating and sometimes you would learn things and then sometimes you'd be rewarded and, and think, you know what, maybe I should look at things like that more often. So you're open to that and uh, just seems to be that simple recognition. Uh, do, you, do you think your children have that ability? Yes. Your, yes. Wife, your wife does? Yes. She's successful in her own rights? Yes. Um, I'm the second best realtor in the family. There's no question about that. I think most, most of us <laughs> knew that. Nobody's going to argue that point. Right? Before you said it. Yeah, is Liz um, a fierce entrepreneurial spirit like yours, no. would you say? No. Is it? A support role? I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. Is it? Tell me about her role in the company. Um, she handles 
she handles a lot of, I'm the managing broker, but she works with her agents a lot on training. Um, she's been in the business a lot longer. She's going to be the board president next year, so she spends a lot of time at the state. So all the new rules and regulations, she keeps us kind of in the, not kind of, in the loop on to make certain that we're following all the, the, the proper channels and, and rules we need to follow. Um, she's my gas, my, she's my brake. Um, I only have a gas pedal, and, and she is definitely my brake. But the, the most amazing thing about Liz is when we had all this trouble, and when we're growing this business, she never once complained. She never once threw it back at me. I could never remember her, her ever throwing it back at me. I think that could be the difference between making it through it and not making it through it. Because I had the same thing that my wife was the, she was the rock more than I was. Uh, we went through some, you know, interesting times. And I think, wow, God, without her being that rock and the level-headed one. But I think if she would have thrown it in my face as a guy, that might have really caused problems. Amen. I mean, and, really, it would have because my ego was already destroyed. Right. And I think that's what people don't get. I, I think they look at everything as financial. Like when somebody goes through a hard time financially, it's like, oh, they lost money. No, it takes a bigger toll than that. Yeah. Uh, the money part was nothing. Do but you, things are good now. Things are good now. How many agents do you have? Um, we have uh, eight agents. Okay. My wife and myself and then six others. We have uh, two administrative assistants. We have an inside sales agent, which is basically – somebody that responds to every lead that comes in. Um, we have an immediate response system at our company, and, and yeah, we're, we're humming along pretty good. You, you, I shouldn't assume this, but it, just as an outsider, knowing what I spend in advertising, you, you seem to do it on steroids, but maybe you're doing it smarter because a lot of it's social media, and that doesn't have a heavy or a big cost at all. Yeah, I've moved almost everything to digital now. Um, I still do a little bit of TV. Um, but I only have one billboard left. So most of my stuff has become digital and and it is a lot a lot more cost effective, that's for sure. But you gotta learn how to do it. So you're involved in a lot of organizations. If you had to pick two where you know the most people, which ones would those be and, and why would why do you think that is? Oh, I I mean where I know the most people is our country club, Champagne Country Club. Um I don't know why Tim Murphy got me to come there back when we owned gullies together and our kids grew up there. And so that's been a part of our lives, but the, the community in general, I love the ability to be able to go walk in Pia's and, you know, sit and have a beer with a guy that's worked on the construction crew all day. I enjoy the opportunity to go meet with Josh Whitman. I mean, this community has afforded me so many different tentacles of life. It, I mean, I, I can't be more thankful that, you know, who gets a chance to, to, to be able to do all those things and have a positive effect on themselves and their business both. And their kids. And everybody around me, hopefully. What would your good pal, maybe best friend, Kenny Bilger, how would he describe you, do you think? Whoa. Loyal. How about your kids? How do you think they would describe you if I got them in here? Thankful. Okay. For the way we raised them. Wow. I know that because they told me. 
Wow. That's, they told us. Yeah. They told Liz and I us that. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty. <laughs> that's that's pretty moving to me. Um, you, you seem to bleed orange and blue. Is that just because of that original kind yeah. of helping Mike White? Yeah. It all started here at the University of Illinois. Changed my life. It opened my eyes. Um, I knew a town of three thousand people, and I got to know a whole world. And that started here, you know, at First Street and First and Greg at the Delta Chi House where I joined and, and has never ended. And when I noticed you wrote or said uh, at one time about all the people you've met in this town, and mainly you were, I think you're reflecting on the University of Illinois at the time in the article I saw, it said, my life today is a completely a blend of these people and experience that shaped me during my time on campus. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal, I think. Well, I, I can add people from this community have added to that as well, too. Yeah. The people we've mentioned in this, this conversation have all blended into the person I am, and I'm thankful for every one of them. Well, I agree with you. You didn't say it this way, but what I'm taking away is this is a, I've always felt like this is a very forgiving community to entrepreneurs. I think there's a lot of opportunity here for average people like you and me. Uh, I think that's how most people would describe us. Probably as pretty average guys. Maybe below average. Didn't for you come and me. from. Uh, didn't come from money, and I think that's. I think. Uh, I think the community's proud of you. That sounds corny, but I know a lot of people are, and, and that's and, and that's very meaningful. Well, thank you, Paul. Well, Craig, I've uh, appreciated you being on Paul Rudy's fifty-two minutes today. It was fifty-two minutes with Craig McDonald, the owner of McDonald Real Estate Group in Champaign Urbana. And thanks for everybody for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another show. Paul Rudy's 52 Minutes with.